Welcome to Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics, where the conversation always gives you a foundation that is built on biblical principles, so you can intellectually and critically learn to weigh out decisions about life with truth, facts, contradictions, and the reality we live in, and history. Host Joe Gaona covers topics like apologetics, worldviews, contemporary culture, and the Word of God to help you articulate a defense for how you live your Christian life. See how you can get involved in support Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics by visiting ThroughoutAllAgesMinistries.com That's ThroughoutAllAgesMinistries.com Joe, where is that magnifying glass? How you doing today? This is Joe Guiana with Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics. And we're here to intellectually think about arguments and see if it makes sense as we weigh out world views. Your worldview and my worldview, whether you're an atheist, a mystic, a skeptic, a Christian, a Buddhist, we want to look at your worldview and mine, and we want to compare it as we weigh it on a scale of truth, looking at history, science, archaeology, and philosophy, and we match that to the reality that we live in, and see if your worldview can stand against many contradictions. So, for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the Bible and its translation. What did history look like around that? And we want to get to the King James Version of 1611. So last week we ended just partially talking about Martin Luther. Now, as Martin Luther is born in 1483, he was born in Hans Luther. And at 1501, at the age of 17, he entered the University of Erfurt, which he later described as a bear, a beer house and a whorehouse. Well, during this time, we need to remember that Charles V, the Roman emperor, was the first person that not only controlled Rome, that the empire that he held, the empire on which the sun never sets. Why is that? Because this holy Roman emperor was also Archduke of Austria. He was king of Spain, lord of the Netherlands. His dominion was from Europe, including the Holy Roman Empire extending from Germany to northern Italy. So Charles V was a very important emperor that reigned more than just the Roman Empire. Now, during this time, as Martin Luther was going to school, we are told one day in 1505 that as he was heading back to the university, from his home visiting his parents that on a horseback there was thunder and rain and storms that would make any man fidget or wonder if that lightning was going to hit him a huge bad storm it feared martin luther so much and he was so terrified that he cried out thinking that this was some type of divine judgment upon him and he cried out help saint anna 
And he confessed and made a vow that I will become a monk if you get me out of this mess. And sure enough, he lived to tell the story. And Martin Luther was true to his vow that he made that day. And he left the university, sold his books, and entered St. Augustine's Monastery at Effort, July 17th, 1505. You could imagine his father very furious as he had put money into Martin Luther that he would someday become a lawyer. And here Martin Luther's given that all up to go into the Augustine's monastery and live this monastic lifestyle. He dedicated himself to fasting, long hours of prayer, pilgrimages, and many confessions. It was told of him that he would confess and confess for hours at a time because the sin that bothered him, his conscience that bothered him, that how can I be clean before a holy and a righteous God? You know, that's something that a lot of Christians confront. I know I did in my life. Is how could I ever come up to God day after day and ask for forgiveness of sins when I am so depraved and he is so holy and mighty. Well, Luther describes this period of his life as a deep spiritual despair. He actually said, I lost touch with Christ, the Savior, the Comforter, and made him the jailer and the hangman of my soul. No amount of penance, no soothing advice from his bosses, his superiors, could steal Luther's conviction. He knew that he was a miserable, doomed sinner. And it's during these times that Martin Luther cried out with a loud voice, I do not love God, I hate him. And this, my friend, was the start of a newfound relationship with God. You know, it's amazing that sometimes it takes us to get to the very part where we can do no more of ourselves and we cry out the truth, how we're actually feeling. And it's here that God begins to respond, not only to people, but he began to respond to Martin Luther. So we know in 1507 that Luther was ordained to the priesthood by Jerome Schultz, the bishop of Bardenburg. He ordained Luther in the Effort Cathedral in Germany. By 1508, we hear that Martin Luther receives his bachelor's degree. By 1512, he was awarded the Doctor of Theology. And by 1515 A.D., as we come up to a year or two before he nails the 95 Thesis on the doors, he was made a province victor of Saxony. And it was his job to watch over 11 monasteries in his province and just help them out, give them answers, be their counselors, be their advisors. But it's during the time that Martin Luther was instructing students when he was teaching. He was supposed to teach on Romans, Hebrews, and he was supposed to teach on Romans, on Hebrews, and a few other epistles. But it's during this time that Martin Luther came upon a verse 
in Romans 1, 17 that he couldn't get over. He read it over and over and tried to make sense of it. And it was the verse that, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith that it is written, The just shall live by faith. You see, it's been over a thousand years that the Catholic Church has been telling people, giving your life at baptism and giving your life to Jesus is just a beginning of what needs to take place. But there are these sacraments that need to take place. And there is this purgatory that you need to worry about. That you definitely have to do works to prove that you can even be saved in the first place. And so for a thousand years, this has been going on. So when Martin Luther read, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed, the just shall live by faith. We're told that night and day Luther pondered on this until I, he saw the connection between a just God and the statement, the just shall live by faith. He says, I grasp that the justice of God is that righteousness by which through grace and sheer mercy, God justifies us through faith. And it was there I felt myself to be reborn again, to have gone through open doors into paradise. And so God began to do this mighty work after a thousand years of history, where now Martin Luther is ready to pronounce, ready to declare that there is no works involved into salvation, that the works involved shows that you are already saved. And the apostolic fathers have told us this in the beginning of the first century, but it was the Catholic Church that run amok on ideals of works that would gain them more power. And here we find God bringing out the truth. You know, people are always saying, why, why does God take so long to do what he does? And, and why didn't God just snap his fingers and get it right? Well, God never worked that way through history. God works through the will of men. God works through the will of sinners. And then God works through his sovereignty to bring things to place where he wants them to be. And we see this in 1515. But during this time, the next year in 1516, that the Pope had asked Johann Tetzel, in 1560, he was sent to Germany by the Roman Catholic Church to sell indulgences to raise money to rebuild St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. You see, Pope Leo X and Albert von Brandenburg, Archbishop of Mainz, was deeply in debt. You see, he had borrowed 10,000 ducats. And now they're rebuilding the St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. And so they needed to pay that back. So Albert of Mainz obtained permission from Pope Leo X to conduct the sale of special plenary indulgence. And what that meant is this wasn't just a indulgence to move people from 
purgatory to a cleansing of their sins. But this was not only the sins that you do today, no matter what they are, no matter how filthy or how vulgar they are, you are forgiven. And there is no purgatory for you. When you buy these cells, you go straight into the kingdom of God. And Martin Luther was outraged with this type of indulgence. Remember, he's now fighting within his soul that the just shall live by faith. And so we're told that when people bought these indulgences, that half of the money would go to Leo X and half the money would go to Albert von Brandenburg. Stay with us as we get into the second part of Martin Luther and the Bible translation. This is Joe with 1530 Apologetics. Don't go away because there is much more to come with Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics on K-Praise. Throughout All Ages Ministry 1530 Apologetics goes into the public high school to build up the student's character to intellectually think about their worldview and weigh it with truth. Studies show 75 to 85 percent of all college students who grew up in a Christian home are walking away from their faith. For more information about 1530 Apologetics, go to throughoutallages.com. Welcome back to Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics. And now, here's your host, Joe Gaona, on K-Praise. Thank you for staying with us to the second part of Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics. We're talking about the Bible translation and how did the history look around those men of God that produced the Bible. We are talking about Martin Luther So as we get to 1517, on that October night of Halloween, which is the Saints Day, that Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the door. And I want you to know that Luther wrote to his bishop, Albert von Brandenburg, protesting against the sale of these indulgences. So it wasn't like Martin Luther wanted to start a reformation. He wanted to have an academic talk on why he felt that indulgence was wrong and how could a pope declare such a vow. One of the things that Martin Luther wrote to them in this 95 thesis, why does the pope whose wealth today is greater than any wealth of the richest man build a basilica of St. Peter with the money of poor believers rather than with his own money? And that's a good question. He never intended to make this a reformation, but he had enough. He had enough of hearing as soon as the coin in the coffin rings, the soul from purgatory springs. As soon as the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. You see, Luther had come to the ideal and taught that salvation And consequently, eternal life are not earned by good deeds. But this is a free gift of God, by grace, through the believers, in faith, in Christ Jesus, as a Redeemer for our sins. So his theology began to challenge the authority, began to challenge the Pope of the day. And it was the Emperor Charles V, it was his 
ruling because he had swore to protect the priests. He swore to protect the Catholic Church. And so hearing about these 95 Theses, he began to get stirred up inside with anger. And at the same time, Martin Luther began to get stirred up by the Holy Spirit. By 1518, friends of Luther had translated the 95 Theses from Latin into German. And within two weeks, copies of these had spread throughout Germany, circulated through France and England and Italy. And it was here finally that John Eck debated Luther on the Catholic Church theology. We know from 1510 to 1520 that the zealousness of Luther began to build as he lectured on Psalms, like I said, on Hebrews and Romans and also Galatians. And he was more than convinced that the church has been corrupt and that we need to get back to the apostolic thought of the first century. We find in 1520, on June 15, that the Pope warns Luther with a papal bull edict that he risks excommunication. They found that 41 of his beliefs out of the 95 are heretical, scandalous, false, offensive to pious ears, or seductive to the simple mind. That it was repugnant to the Catholic Church. The bull the edict called on Luther to repent of his errors, and he had 60 days to do this, or there would be dreadful consequences. We hear that after Martin Luther got these bulls, these edicts, that he took some students outside of Wittenberg, and he began to burn some of these copies of the canon law and the works of medieval theologians that he did not agree on. And while he did this, he, he had the bull, the edicts, and he threw those in the fire. And that just caused more tension in the air as those would gather for Luther and as the Catholic Church would be stern. And we find that 1521 on January 3rd, Luther was excommunicated by Pope Leo X. So, of course, if Pope Leo excommuted Martin Luther, that the Holy Roman Emperor Charles V was on with this. And so they told Martin Luther to meet them at the Diet of Worms that he might prove his case. We find in April of 1521 that Luther appears at the Diet of Worms. Now, the General Assembly was every high man that you could think of throughout the Europe Empire, throughout Roman Empire, were all there with Emperor Charles V, with Pope Leo X, and so was Prince Frederick. Now we know that Duke Frederick the Wise had prepared that if they were going to go after Luther, and that Luther would not recant, that he had a plan going forth. So here's Martin Luther before all the princesses, before all the popes, before the bishops. And as they wanted him to recant, he says, Unless I am convinced by the testimony of scriptures or by clear reason, for I do not trust either in the pope or the councils alone, since it is well known that they have often erred and contradicted themselves. I am bound 
by the scriptures I have quoted, and my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything, since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. May God help me. And of course, we have those who said that at that point, Martin Luther says, Here I stand, I can do no other. Over the next five days, a private conference was held to determine Luther's fate. The emperor presented the final draft of the Edict of Worms on May 25th, declaring Luther an outlaw, banning his literature, requiring his arrest. We want him to be apprehended and punished as a notorious heretic, and that anyone that gave Luther food or shelter would stand before trial. And if anyone killed Luther on sight, there would be no legal action. A wild boar has entered the vineyard. Now, during this time in 1521, we know that at 1520, Martin Luther writes the freedom of a Christian man. That the Pope and Charles V had sent men to look for Luther. But we know that the Duke, Frederick Wise, had gave Luther sanctuary in the Wartburg Castle. That out of nowhere, as Martin Luther was heading out, a group of men grabbed him, took hold of him, and no one saw Luther after that, but they had taken him to Wartburg Castle under the guise of Duke Frederick. He was disguised from that point on for a whole year as a nobleman. They gave him the name Junker George. But during that time, during that year, we know that he translated the New Testament of Erasmus, the Latin and the Greek, into German, that they could all read the Word of God. But then we get into another story. Now, as Martin Luther finishes up the German Bible for all Germany to read, there was a man born in 1484, and his name was Zwingli. Now, Zwingli was an ordained priest by 1506, and it was during this renaissance of the humanist tradition that it led him to preach against injustice and the hierarchies in the Catholic Church. And more and more as he heard about the Reformation and the Protestant view that we find Zwingli in Zurich in 1519. A priest was looking hard in his conscience and realizing that he no longer wanted to be a priest. In Zurich, a buponic plague hit. We are told there was about 7,000 citizens there. 2,500 of them died. Here was Zwingli taking care of the people of Zurich. Zwingli prayed out to God. God, if you want to save me, save me from this plague. If not, I will go sooner to you. Well, the day came when Zwingli converted to the Reformed tradition. He understood that the Pope authority was not the final say, that transubstantiation was not the real flesh and blood of Christ, but only symbols. And the only ordinances was the Lord's Supper and baptism. And as he began to preach day in and day out, in Zerk, they began to label his followers Zwinglians. By 1523, Zurich used to be a Catholic-run state. And here we find the city council converting to Protestantism. The 
priests were relieved from their celibacy, that they could get married. The decorations came down from the church, for it was the reformers who did not want all these relics within the church. And then Zwingli did something that no one ever heard of for a thousand years. He began to teach his congregation the expository teaching of the Gospel of Matthew. So there were wars going on between the Reformation of 1516, 1517, and by 1531, ten years later, we had seven cantons remaining Roman Catholics in the area, and this led to a war against the Protestants, which was the Wars of Capel. We're told as Zwingli, he went to war as a chaplain. And by 1531 of October, the Catholic cantons defeated Zurich in the Battle of Kappel. And it's here that Zwingli was killed on the battlefield. And from that time on, it gave the Catholic the priority in these common territories. But we find it also allowed for the community that had already been converted to remain Protestants. Now, as this was going on in Zurich, we find another group of people, the Anabaptists, that as Zwingli was teaching them in Zurich and expounding on them the Word of God, there were men like Conrad Grable and Felix Moons begin to understand that baptism of infants didn't make sense. That the state and the union of states and the councils being part of the church didn't make sense to them. And in the fall of 1524, or Grable's wife gave birth to a son, and all the theories faced the test of action on this day. Would that infant be baptized? We're told that Grable refused, and other parents begin to follow their example. And so the city council of Zurich, hearing about these things, arranged for a debate that when Zwingli was alive, the debate would be Zurich city council with Zwingli and the Anabaptists, who were not called Anabaptists at the time. We'll talk more about this next week. Thank you for being a part of this. This is Joe with 1530 Apologetics. That's a take, and this has been Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics. You can learn more about your host, Joe Gaona, how to support and get involved with 1530 Apologetics by visiting throughoutallagesministries.com. That's throughoutallagesministries.com. 1530 Apologetics is vigorously setting the pace to give easy answers to hard questions in the culture we live in. So be sure to join Joe at this same time next week for more biblical principles to help you intellectually and critically learn to weigh out decisions about life with truth, facts, contradictions, the reality we live in, and history. This has been Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics on K-Praise.